The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show. In the ag industry, uh, cost is key. Uh, so quite often you'd get to a point in your design where you have to step back realize where your where your tolerances would stack up and if it was achievable with a looser tolerance you'd take that approach in hopes that you could save some dollars in the end Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Being an Engineer podcast. We are your co-host, Rafael Testai. Today, we have Michael Kading. He's an experienced product engineer with a demonstrated history of working in the machinery industry. He's skilled in various 3D modeling software, such as SolidWorks, Autodesk, and Inventor. And he enjoys providing practical, easy-to-use pieces of equipment for a variety of customers. I know that's vague and open-ended, and we're going to talk about that in the episode. Michael received his Bachelor's of Applied Science, uh, focused on mechanical engineering from the University of Saskatchewan. Can you help me pronounce that, please? How do you say that? Saskatchewan. Perfect. So, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Raphael. Uh, it's, it was uh, interesting to get the invite, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, tell me about the, the invite. What was interesting about it? Uh, I, I guess I didn't expect, uh, you know... Uh, a uh, farm boy from Saskatchewan who has his engineering degree to uh, come on the show with the likes of some of your other uh, past guests that uh, have gone to MIT, Apple, you know, all those uh, very distinguished guys. <laughs> Thank you very much. I think we want to give our listeners the full range of engineers and perspective because there are other people listening who may very well relate to your history and what you work on. So let's start out with the difference between designing for high volume in large agricultural equipment and custom heavy-duty industrial settings. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess uh, coming out of university, um, I I joined a agricultural company here in Regina and uh, did a bunch of, of machine design with them, uh, ranging from conveyors, grain carts, green backs, uh, a wide range of things. And uh, throughout my years of experience there, uh, I came to realize that um, you had to pay close attention to uh, what was actually required. Um, in the ag industry, uh, cost is key. Uh, so when you were designing something that had, a say, a pin connection or or something of the like a bolt uh, you had to take a step back think was a super tight tolerance required because those super tight tolerances often lead to expensive parts uh, you're into the drilling or reaming versus just using a laser cut hole that would suffice in the application um, so quite often you'd get to a point in your design where you have to step back realize where your where your tolerances would stack up and if it was achievable with a looser tolerance you'd take that approach in hopes that you could save some dollars in the end um, then switching over to my current role with uh, rockford engineering 
Um, we do more of a custom one of builds where the reliability is more key and you need to focus in on, I guess, also thinking to the, the size of equipment we develop. Uh, it's quite large and quite heavy. So some of those sloppy connections don't hold up over time. Um, when so you say you, quite large, are you talking about maybe like a John Deere, something in the field? Uh, what, what do you mean by large? Um, I guess for the general audience, if they were to look up, say, uh, a Sandvik uh, underground scoop um, would be um, a good reference. That's kind of the one of the larger pieces of equipment that would operate in an underground potash mine in Saskatchewan. Um, that's who we... Uh, primarily call on for our mining uh, equipment is local here in Saskatchewan. So the uh, those scoops would be a large piece of equipment along with the miners themselves, which are upwards to, uh, I think a four-rotor uh, miner is about 250 ton. Okay. I'm pulling up the specifications right now to get an idea, but it looks like to be a very large orange truck basically yeah, yeah. quite often it's a uh, pretty low profile because you only have uh, um, i think it's about eight nine feet maybe of clearance to fit through i see it okay it's almost like uh, a the what do you call it i only know how to say it in spanish it's called batimóvil which means uh batman's uh vehicle basically right batmobile batmobile is that what you call it yeah, Batmobile, yeah. Yeah, like that. So it's like low to the ground. So it's like a big truck, very low to the ground, and it's orange. Uh, Savic Underground Scoop. That's what yep. I Googled right now. Yep. You talked uh, about ag, and anytime we say ag industry, just for the listeners, it means agricultural industry. And this is uh, not something that I'm very familiar with because here at Pipeline, where I work at, that's sponsoring the podcast, we do test fixtures for medical devices. So this is uh, way out of my field and things that I'm uh, used to talking about. So this is all new to me, and I'm learning just as much as some of the listeners are. But you talked about machine design. Could you tell us about what machine design is and how do you get good at it? The more specific the advice, the better. Uh, machine design, uh, that is a, a good topic. You can get, uh, you can get quite broad. Uh, the machine operates setting some parameters and you can get down to the nitty gritty details of specific shafts and what they look like. Um, I like to consider machine design. I think there was a saying along the lines of uh, mechanical engineers. Uh, what is it? They, they design things to move. Ah, I forget. It's it was a it was a good quote, but uh, something along the lines of you know we can dabble in almost anything. Um, so you've got machine design right from a bearing and a shaft all the way up to you know a, a fairly complicated uh, multi-part system where you're getting into like a, a full piece of mobile equipment. Okay. What's your specialty when it comes to machine design and how did you come up on that specialty? Um, what would be my specialty? I've, I guess I've 
taken a key interest in uh, you know shaft design, stress analysis, um, hydraulics. I, I would say those are probably my top three what I enjoy doing. Um, and I think that all kind of stems back to my uh, upbringing on the farm. Uh, I mean, driving tractors and equipment like that, I was fairly uh, exposed to it at an early age and, and spent some long days thinking about how things could be improved um, on the pieces of equipment that I was running. Um, Did you ever get to design something that improved one of the pieces of equipment that you were contemplating as, as a younger adult when you were in the farm? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we ran, uh, we had a, a grain farm, so we had augers and grain carts and conveyors. Um, so I was able to work on lots of those and take some of my knowledge and from, from my upbringing and apply it to that situation, kind of already knowing what would and what wouldn't work and what, uh, the end user would think of it as I was going through the design process. So machine design is also a field that I'm in, and it involves making mechanisms on, on CAD and software and then bringing them to reality. You send it to a machine shop, and then you assemble it, and that the machine all works together as, as intended, hopefully, or you make some revisions. What was a step in your machine design career that, was, that gave you a breakthrough that took you to the next level? <laughs> I think uh, I had one experience when I first started... Uh first started at the ag company um i think it was one of the first jobs i was given i was to model up these pieces um of sheet steel and get a prototype on order and i was fairly inexperienced using the cad software so i modeled it up and threw in bend lines uh, manually and ended up that uh, all of my sheet metal parts were bent backwards because uh, I didn't have a good appreciation for what those drawings meant to the guy that was making the equipment or making the sheet steel. Um, that uh, that definitely triggered something. Um, I like to try and uh, keep you know the manufacturing process in mind as I'm going through the design. You know, is a is a tool going to be able to fit in here? You always want to try and uh, make sure that you're designing something that's that's practical for not only the end user but the guy that has to make the part that fits in there. So, as an up and coming engineer, if we don't want to make a mistake that's going to cost our, our employer uh, hundreds or maybe thousands of dollars, uh, is there something that we can do on our way up through college to better prepare ourselves so that when we join the workforce? We, we don't make uh, mistakes that a beginner, a machine designer would make? Yeah, absolutely. You can, uh, I, I would think my best uh, piece of advice is just be curious. Ask a pile of questions. Um, lean on the more experienced guys and get their feedback throughout your design process. Run, run every little thing past them if you can um, get their feedback and just get a better appreciation for how other people's minds work and how they would uh, change one small thing that uh, may pay off big time in the end as well as it saves you a bunch of rework time you know if you have to remodel something back down to a, a base part if you can get ahead of it at the start it, it uh It'll save you a bunch of time. 
So let's say that you're someone that has your SOLIDWORKS certifications, you know how to do a couple of mechanisms, and now you finally get uh, your contributor in a company, and they assign you a task that's machine design related, and you want to make sure that you do the best you can and make a good first impression with your employer and your teammates at this company. How can you prepare yourself for that when that moment comes? And this is advice you can give someone that already has uh, their SOLIDWORKS training already has the basics down. What advice would you give them? Uh, probably the best advice. Uh, if you are in a company where, you know, you, you do have an R and D division and you're doing prototypes and stuff like that would be to get down on the shop floor and get the feedback of the employees that are putting things together. Um, you know, I, I can't even think of the amount of times that I received great advice from the assembly line workers or the R&D techs who were putting everything together and, you know, was fairly straightforward with me as to why I did that because I could have done it this way, which would save them a bunch of time in the end and was probably a better uh, solution in the first place. Okay, uh, I like where this is going. So whenever... You want to get that feedback from the assembly line or the machinists. You, How do you approach them? Because they're busy and you don't want to interrupt. Uh, how do you go about basically tapping them on the shoulder and asking them, how does that work? I think I'd, uh, I would suggest, you know, just observing initially, just, just watching them work, figure out what they're doing. Um, you know, if something doesn't make sense, maybe make a mental note. And then if uh, it comes to a time where they've got a little bit of downtime, uh, you could step in at that point, you know, if they're waiting for another part or, uh, or they're, uh, you know, nearing the end of their shift, you can maybe ask them why they did what they did. Is there any way that they think it could be improved? And, uh, I quite often found that they are more than willing to provide their input in hopes that it makes their life easier in the end. That makes a lot of sense. And if, if you can't answer the following question, I understand, but the advice you gave takes into account a rather large company from the way that I understand your description because you're going down to where the people are building it and assembling it. But what if you work at an engineering firm where they don't necessarily have the assembly line? They ship it out somewhere else and the assembly line is elsewhere. How do you get that feedback if you're a machine designer? Yeah, that would that would fall in line with what we're doing here at Rockford. Uh, we don't have a huge engineering staff, and we've got uh, you know half a dozen people out in the shop. Um, but still, you could uh, if you can't get down to a shop, I'm sure there is more than one or two guys that would have experience somewhere else that uh, could offer you some input. Even just, I know I've looked at a couple of other people's designs in the past and and it's triggered a, a question and quite often has led to some pretty good in-depth discussions on uh, why they did what they did. And quite often there's a bit of a, of a middle ground that's found, you know, where they can modify their existing design and come up with uh, something that maybe they didn't consider, whether it's... Uh, a range of motion that wasn't fully analyzed um, that I've maybe highlighted could be a potential issue. And they've gone back and looked at things and 
resulted in tweaking it and likely saved quite a bit of time and uh, effort had that uh, device been actually manufactured and put into the field to test. When you review somebody's design, do you have a checklist that you follow? Uh, not officially. We've been kind of trying to work on a bit of a process of when we're checking designs. You know, we generally type, uh, generally try to do like a, a 5%, a 30%, 60%, 90% check if we can. Um, on some of those big jobs, that's a little easier. Some of the smaller jobs, maybe it's a, a 25, 75. But uh, if we can see it multiple times, um, it quite often will bring up some good points that maybe weren't considered and and avoids that rework time afterwards. Understood. Well, this seems like a good place for a quick pause to share with our listeners that teampipeline.us is where you can learn more about how we help medical device and other product engineering or manufacturing teams develop turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines to characterize, inspect, assemble, manufacture, and perform verification testing on your devices. Well, my next question was going to be continuing a little bit more about uh, design for assembly. That was one of the topics that we wanted to discuss for the today, and we, we touched upon it. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about when it comes to design for assembly? Um, I guess one of my one of my tips and pieces of advice is always consider your tolerance stack up. Um, been bit more than once on that issue, and uh, it's often an exercise that gets overlooked, but uh, it can pay off if you at least look at a couple things and figure out if you're traveling down the right path or if you're going to have issues right right off the start. So if you're a an engineer listening to this and maybe you're well on your way to becoming an engineer in college and you haven't even come across cause a lot of the the classes in college are very theoretical, calculus, uh, physics, electromagnetism and we have to take these classes, they're part of the the, the degree, but we may never have come across the term tolerance stack up yet uh, and we don't know how to get training on it. So what should we look up online to get some good training so we can not make tolerance stack up mistakes? That's a good question. Um, I'm sure there's uh, various YouTube videos out there. I know uh, I've gained a lot of insight and and knowledge from listening to podcasts. Um, Yeah, I mean... The internet is an endless amount of uh, available information for you. Um, I would also suggest if you're going through university to try and seek out some of the internships that uh, local engineering firms. Um, I know in the Regina area, there's quite a few engineering firms or companies that uh, would provide, you know, summer employment, which would offer great opportunities to gain experience on some of these issues. Perfect. Well, we're nearing towards the end of the podcast, and I want to talk about, um, you have your certification in engineering, the PE, and you got it in Canada. And I was wondering if you could maybe walk us through the steps and how you achieved your PE license. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Canada... I think has a fairly streamlined approach. Um, all the universities here 
or major universities in Canada generally are accredited by the, uh, I think it's the Canadian Engineering Board. I, I don't quote me on the actual title. I could get that for you if needed. But uh, basically all the uh, universities are accredited, which uh, ultimately saves you from having to write a uh, competency. Yeah, saves you from having to write a competency test. Um, so once you graduate uh, university, you go out into the workforce, work under a professional engineer for four years. Um, gain a bunch of experience. I know when I was going through it, Saskatchewan has changed just recently here uh, to a bit of a different uh, reporting style, but when I was going through, you had to write four reports on uh, various engineering tasks that you completed throughout your years, and uh, that ultimately was submitted to the uh, Association of Professional Engineers and Geoscientists of Saskatchewan. Um, they had a, a group set up there that would review all these experience reports and they would either approve or ask you to elaborate on things before they approve them. Um, and then once you had your four reports approved, you also had to take a law and ethics exam. Um, there was a uh, one or two day course followed up by a, an exam later on that you had to write and receive a passing grade. Um, and then once you had the exam and all your experience reports covered, uh, they issued you your professional engineering certification. Okay, so professional engineering certification versus PE license, is that different? I believe so. I, I think the PE designation is uh, out of the States. I know when I uh, did the law and ethics, there was a couple people that had come up from the States um, so I, I, it's not fully transferable. However, the the professional engineer in Canada is fairly transferable between the provinces in Canada. You just have to apply, and uh, each province will reach out to their home governing body and make sure you're in good standing with them. And then it's a matter of uh, gaining the ability to sign off in drawings outside of your home province. Understood. Well, congratulations on your PE certification. And I wanted to ask you, is there something else that I shouldn't, that I should have asked you, but I haven't asked you yet? Uh, does it count with uh, how cold the Saskatchewan winters are? <laughs> are they very cold? Yes. Yes, they're very cold. Uh, to the point where your car doesn't agree with you some mornings. I, I think that's that's one point on the temperature scale where we can uh, we can uh, find a common ground is that minus forty degrees. Freezing, jeez. Well, um, how can people find you? Uh, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, um, so you can search me there, Michael Kading. Um, you can also send me an email, which is mkading at rockfordworks.com. Wonderful. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's been a privilege. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please share the episode. 
to learn how your team can leverage our team's expertise developing turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines. And with product design, visit us at teampipeline.us. Thanks for listening. Dear valued listener, we kindly ask that you help us get to 100 five-star podcast reviews in the platform of your choice. For a chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card, send a screenshot of your five-star podcast review to podcast at teampipeline.us. You'll find that email address in the description of the show notes.